Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. It's a place called Paradise Valley, and people who live in it say it was a paradise until this woman and her followers arrived. Cosmic law is cosmic law, and when the karma has to teach people a lesson, then it has to descend. I believe that there are peak dates when nuclear war could happen anytime in this 12-year period that began on April 23rd. It's a Montana-based spiritual group of some 3,000 people that has aroused the anger of its neighbors and the concern of half a dozen federal agencies. Who is Elizabeth Prophet, and what does her church, Universal and Triumphant, stand for? We'll talk with her tonight. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Oddcast featuring the Odd Men Out. So glad to be back with you guys. I hope that you will enjoy this show today that I have planned for you. It is about a cult. I know we've talked about Freemasonry a lot. We've talked about Amork, the Rosicrucian institution. And we've talked about the Church of Set and a little bit about the Church of Satan. But today we're going to talk about a lesser known cult that was really thriving in the 80s called the Church Universal and Triumphant. Now, some of you might have heard of it, some of you may even remember it, or maybe you know a lot about it, but many people don't, and I think it's interesting. I think that there's something about these different cults and cult leaders and members and how they trick so many people into following them that just, it really interests me. I find it fascinating because I've always been, from the time I was little, just kind of against groups against the collective. I always knew, and I I owe it all to my mother and my grandmother, I always knew that there was something wrong with herd mentality. 
and I was always very cautious of it. And to see people get fooled time and time again by these same tricks, it's the same old tricks time and time again, the same propaganda, same types of propaganda, the same types of nudge theory and psychological warfare at play, mind control, whatever you want to call it, social conditioning, it's all there. And it all basically comes down to making people believe that the cult is their family and that they need to leave their lives and dedicate their new life to the cult and the cult leaders. And they're always trying to pit their people against the outside world. We're going to save you from this group or that group. We're going to save you from the world, you know, if you join our cult. And we're the elite ones. We're the chosen ones. And we're the only ones that are going to survive the coming apocalypse or what have you. So that's why I wanted to talk about this particular cult. Now, it was started under a different name. And it was started under a man named Mark L. Prophet. Names in here of cosmic beings. I'll give you 70.18. You don't have to look it up. It starts out in the preamble of the decree. Beloved, mighty, victorious presence of God, I am in me, which relates the God to the God within. In other words, the God in the universe is related to the God in you. You have to sense this. If you just say these words in the preamble without sensing it, you will not be decreeing effectively. Then it goes on, thou immortal, that's important, thou immortal, unfed flame of Christ's love. Now you have to feed electricity into these lights. You have to feed oil into lamps, but you do not have to feed the immortal flame of Christ's love that is in your heart because it is an unfed flame burning within my heart holy Christ selves of all mankind. Now, here we start. Beloved, mighty Elohim Arcturus. This is one of the seven spirits of God that is depicted in the book, The Prophet, by Khalil Gibrah as dancing in the palm of God's hand. It is one of the Elohim, the seven L's of creation, E-L. That's the Hebrew name for God. So we address here the beloved, mighty Elohim Arcturus. Then we name, in many cases, other beings, like St. Germain, Jesus, and I'll take another decree here. I'll try to show you a little better. Here we are. Beloved Helios and Vesta, beloved St. Germain, beloved mighty Portia, beloved seven mighty Elohim and directors of the elements, beloved Lord Tabor. Now, this is the point. A lot of people reading these names in the decrees might feel, because of Christian theology, that they were, in some way or other, violating the word, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am pointing out to you that here we're dealing with a pantheon of humanity, all of whom are created by God. And it is no blasphemy for any of them to say, I am God in the image of God. Do you understand what I mean? In other words, God made you in his image. It's not wrong for you to claim that and to acknowledge the divinity within yourself then it is not wrong to acknowledge the divinity within the God in all of these masters that are ascended. 
but they have proven their worth by their ascension. That is to say, they have gone up in light. They're free from mortal dross. Now, we have the bio, the official bio, of Mark L. Prophet, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what the official bio doesn't include. But it says here on markprophet.org, Mark L. Prophet was the only child of Thomas and Mabel Prophet, born Christmas Eve 1918 in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. As a child, his mystical inclinations were apparent. He saw and freely communed with angels and nature spirits. When he was nine, his father died, and it affected him deeply. He attended the Pentecostal church, praying by the hour at the altar he had built in the attic of his home. The young Mark showed an extraordinary religious devotion. Before finishing high school, he had received all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, when somebody starts talking to you about receiving multiple gifts of the Holy Spirit, I hope that your spotty sense will start going off instantaneously. What they don't mention is Mark was known to be kind of an outlier. He didn't really fit in. He was kind of a charismatic guy, but he was just kind of a weirdo from what people said that grew up around him. And yeah, when his father died, it seemed to really affect him. And he started acting out and, you know, he kind of freaked some people out, basically. But um, it goes on to say about Mark, When he was a young man, the ascended master, El Moriah, appeared to him. Unable to reconcile the turbaned eastern adept with his lifelong devotion to Jesus or his mother's studies with the Unity School of Christianity, he dismissed him. Years later, El Moriah returned when Mark, having realized that the path of the Ascended Masters was also the path of Jesus, he accepted Moriah as his teacher and took on the rigors of Eastern discipleship. Mark also studied the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and was for a time associated with Self-Realization Fellowship as well as the Rosicrucian Order. I thought that was interesting that they did include the Rosicrucian order because I've read several other biographies that did not include that part, but here is the official one saying he was in bed with the Rosicrucians at one time. It says Mark begins his spiritual mission. After serving in the Air Force in World War II, Mark lectured on Christian and Eastern mysticism and the Masters of Wisdom. In 1952, he began publishing a series of letters and spiritual rituals to his students called Ashram Notes, dictated by none other than El Moriah from his ashram at Darjeeling, India. Now, some bios, they don't talk about his series of letters until you get to the later letters which the church started putting out called the Pearls of Wisdom. But... I guess maybe this is true, I don't know. But not all bios talk about it. The master directed him to found and establish the headquarters of the Summit Lighthouse, Washington, D.C., on August 8, 1958. El Moriah dictated the first of the Pearls of Wisdom to Mark, launching a worldwide movement. Did you hear my cat ringing its little toy there with the bells? So that is the official bio of Mark Prophet, but it leaves out a few things. 
Now, from what I've been told and what I've read in other bios, he only had just a few students for a while, quite a while. And he did that in basically a basement with a big Buddha statue in the middle. And it just wasn't taking off like he wanted. And then he got the idea, well, I'll start putting out these pearls of wisdom. And I'll start mailing them out to different new age groups and institutions. That's when he started getting attention. And he started being asked to be a speaker at these different events, these different groups and institutions. And he started making money. And of course, he started getting more and more of an audience for his cult. And so that's how it started growing. It really started taking off. And he was married at the time, but from all that I've read, his wife was not down with this whole New Age Eastern mysticism stuff. And they began to grow apart. Well, a few years later, in walks Elizabeth Clare Wolfe. 20 years younger than him, and she became one of his best students and really began to follow him and be one of his disciples, if you will. Well, they developed a love for one another, and they were both married at the time, actually. They had to figure out, okay, we're going to divorce our spouses and get married. And eventually, they did. Now, she was from New Jersey. She grew up in New Jersey. He grew up in Wisconsin. In 1963, they married, and they had four children altogether. But at the age of 33, Elizabeth found herself a widow. Mark had bad health. He had ulcers and all these different problems, and he eventually died of a massive stroke. And that was in 1973. And she found herself alone with four kids in this Summit Lighthouse cult. And what else was she going to do but take it over? Would it be the obvious choice, right? So that's what she decided to do. A couple years after Mark passed away, she decided to change the name of the church from Summit Lighthouse to something that fit her ideology a little bit better, Church Universal and Triumphant. And so that's what she did. And she became the prophetess and quite popular, more so than under the time when Mark was leader. And during that time also, she got remarried to one of the church parishioners. But it didn't last very long. He seemed to want to get a lot of the attention, and he seemed to be about using her for money, it seemed like, from the things that I've read. So eventually, a couple of years go by, and their marriage falls apart, and she divorces him. This is ABC News Nightline, reporting from Washington. Ted Koppel. This, quite frankly, is one of those stories you save for a slow day when not very much else is happening. And even then, you wonder whether it merits the attention. Not that the church universal and triumphant isn't interesting. It is gloriously bizarre and fascinating. But 
it is also exceedingly strange. As one Montana neighbor put it, I'm surrounded by people whose dipsticks haven't seen oil in a long time. That observation, even less obliquely put, has been made in particular about the church's current leader, Elizabeth Clare Prophet. The organization itself sometimes seems less a church than a cult, but it has several thousand members, and as Nightline correspondent Farah Sawyer reports, they, their convictions, and their activities are a little difficult to ignore. Paradise Valley, Montana. God's country, they call it here. Not the kind of place you'd expect to find a New Age range war. And this is not the kind of person you'd expect to be leading the battle. Elizabeth Clare Prophet, head of the Church Universal and Triumphant, whose teachings are a grab-bag mix of Western and Eastern philosophy. She believes she is the reincarnated spirit of Queen Guinevere and Marie Antoinette. To her church members, she is the mother of the universe, the very messenger of God. A messenger is one who does bring the message of the angels, of the ascended masters, and of God to a people who have forgotten their source. The ascended masters, spirits like Jesus, Buddha, Merlin the magician, and someone called Rayolite, bring prophet visions of destruction. The Soviet Union, she believes, is planning a first nuclear strike. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are riding across the land. And as you know, these four horsemen bring problems in the economy. They bring, they bring war, they bring death, they bring famine, they bring plague. An estimated 3,000 church members gave up their old lives to follow Prophet's visions to Paradise Valley, chanting for protection. And preparing for nuclear holocaust dotting the landscape with scores of fortified bomb shelters. Room for every man, woman, and child in the church. These things close and go in against the two openings in there, and there's no way of opening it up from outside. Fred Morcell gave up a full-time acting career to come here and build this underground shelter for himself and six others. When the messenger of God announced this past March and April were the most dangerous times, Morcell prayed and waited. We are ready to go down any minute. Any minute. Disaster was averted, members believe, in part because they prayed it away. But church members also take other security measures. Ed Francis, Prophet's fourth husband and the church's business manager, together with her former bodyguard, were recently convicted of illegally buying $100,000 worth of assault weapons and ammunition to be used, Francis said, after a nuclear war against looters or when the Soviets invade. Let me get this straight. Ed Francis, holed up in a bunker up in the mountains, says he's going to fight the Russians? Well, you know, who knows what kind of a scenario would unfold. Local residents have grown increasingly alarmed. When church members built a defense tower overlooking Pete Story's ranch, he called it a declaration of war. Now, I ran into an article from... The Bozeman Daily Chronicle, August 29, 2011. It says, By all accounts, Elizabeth Clare Prophet was a controversial figure. The longtime spiritual leader of the church, Universal and Triumphant, she often made headlines while directing the New Age sect that many considered cult-like. Now, she moved the church from Washington, D.C. to Montana. And that's how the church really got to be known. They were very controversial. And they bought up a ranch, which we're about to learn, that was right down from the Yellowstone National Park. 
Of course, you couldn't get away with that today, but they did then. This was the 80s. In Montana, she and the church are perhaps best known for building an underground bomb shelter that Prophet predicted would be needed as the world was stricken with war and natural disasters. But Prophet's legacy in Montana and across the globe extends beyond that as the church she helped form continues to grow. The church and its members first came to Montana in 1986 after buying a $7 million, 12,000-acre spread on the Yellowstone River from publisher Malcolm Forbes. They dubbed the property the Royal Teton Ranch, where the church would make its headquarters. Today, church followers from around the world make pilgrimages to Corwin Springs, where the ranch is located, to visit what they revere as the Holy Land. Prophet, born in Red Bank, New Jersey, as Elizabeth Claire Wolfe, came to Montana after the death of her second husband, Mark L. Prophet. Now, we've been through this stuff. And it talks a little bit about the current leader of the church and how she knew Claire way back when. And she says, we're basically the best of seven world religions here. If you were to come here, you would see us give Hail Marys to the Virgin Mary in the same way we give a Buddhist chant. We believe the science of the spoken word. Now, it says here, they likely gained the most national attention in 1989 and 1990 during the construction of the underground bomb shelters. Church leaders were also quietly amassing an arsenal of weapons and armored vehicles led in part by Prophet's fourth husband, Yes, I said fourth, Ed Francis. The 756-person shelter located up Mole Huron Creek in Alpine Meadow called the Heart of the Inner Retreat spurred complaints from environmentalists who worried that such a community would threaten the ecological balance of Yellowstone National Park. The state eventually intervened, conducting an environmental review before giving the church permission to build the shelter. Similar underground shelters were built in Glassenbury, a Paradise Valley subdivision then limited to members of the sect. The Chronicle reported that Prophet had predicted the world would end on March 1990. On March 15th of that year, hundreds if not thousands of church members entered the bomb shelters. Some had reportedly quit their jobs and run up big debt, anticipating the apocalypse. But nothing happened and church officials maintained the next day that it had been a drill. Duffy, a current member, said she was there that day, and the event was clearly and definitely a drill. As always, the shelters are just preparedness in case of need, she said. Duffy also said the prophet had never predicted the world would end. She said world circumstances were very perilous. Why would you build a shelter if the world was going to end? You build it so in that dire time, you can have a shelter. Praying against the fire, the church also drew media attention in 1988 when a 16,000-acre fire was spreading towards the Yellowstone National Park. About 250 church gatherers followed into a meadow to deliver high-speed spoken prayers known as decrees. Reverse the tide, roll them back, set all free, Members chanted with arms outstretched. The fire stopped at the church border. Slurry bombers had attacked the blaze, but Prophet credited the prayers to the ascended masters. 
Well, it's pretty interesting, too, that Oprah actually had two of Elizabeth Clare Prophet's daughters on at one point. One had defected from the cult, and this is when all this stuff was going on about the bomb shelters. And the other was actually the spokesman or spokeswoman for the cult. Well, we don't give out our, our numbers. We all say we have thousands of members around the world. In fact, most of our members live in their own homes. Mm -hmm. Only less than 1% of our members actually live in Montana. Mm -hmm. The numbers of residents in Gallatin County has been greatly deflated for environmental purposes. And I was there when they began that whole plan to... to um, disguise the numbers of people who are really there. It's well, that's ridiculous. That we have 400 Francis, people living my in mother's our community. Husband we have got another on, one at a time. got on stage at a, a community meeting and said, we are under scrutiny because of the amount of people. No one is allowed to drive their own vehicle through the valley. We have to have carpools. They set up van systems and buses. Where we have had van systems since we arrived there. Counters. And what they were trying, the all he was trying to say is that we want to be sure that everybody sticks to our carpool system and doesn't, you know, not, doesn't not go by this carpool system because, yes, we are under a lot of scrutiny and we want to be sure that we're doing what we've always the, said. The right numbers when we one, one person equals ten. It what was definitely, we have definitely, we always have carpools, Moira. Deflated. So tell me this, why do you think this group is dangerous? You were a part of it for a long time, and you were thrown out, and then went back and thrown out again. I was born into it. I think it's dangerous because it destroys the individual and his choices. Mm -hmm. it, it, it centers around mind control. I think that the people in it, through their decrees, and through believing that Elizabeth Prophet is the only Your messenger mother. of God, my mother, mm -hmm. Um, their lives are completely ruled by her and they become one-pointed in their quest to follow her and her teaching. Slowly you will learn that, no, Christianity is not a viable path. Buddhism alone is not a viable path. You can't get to heaven. You need that's decrees and the violet flame to get where. to heaven. It's pretty interesting to go back and watch those different videos. And they were quite controversial indeed. And I think it's funny, I really encourage people to go and watch the dozens of videos of Claire Prophet speaking. I mean, don't watch them all by any chance, but I've put a few in the show notes here, and I've added some clips in here, of course. And she kind of puts off this Hillary Clinton vibe a little bit. She speaks with a certain cadence that's almost mind-numbing in itself, and there may be something to that. And she will stop all of a sudden, and she will start speaking in a different voice when she is supposedly taking on the persona of these ascended masters. And I've watched these other people who do the same sort of things, this channeling, and they'll all of a sudden start speaking in a different accent or with a different cadence. And I've seen some switch back and forth between several different accents when they're supposedly speaking for these ascended masters. Pretty interesting. And I'm going to say, from my point of view, that a lot of these channelers, as much as they're cultists and cult leaders and propagandists, they're also performance artists. And you can see that. There's a lot of acting that goes along with that. And it draws people in. It gets people's attention. And then the money comes in and the loyalty comes in. And that's what you want if you're a cult leader, right? And it's pretty interesting, too, that there are... A lot of these people, not a lot, I wouldn't say, but there's enough people in the truther community that I believe have a big kind of 
performance artist influence themselves. You know, we've talked about Jordan Maxwell, maybe Bishop Larry Gators, but there's others for sure, and I think we should look out for that. Maybe even David Icke to a degree. You know, I think we have to understand that these guys need followers, and followers equal money, and that's really the bottom line. Now, I'm not saying they all are bad. I'm not saying they all are wrong, and I'm not saying that even the ones I mentioned are wrong about everything, but I'm saying beware. Beware, because people get taken in by the same old tricks time and time again. Now, if you're watching Elizabeth Clare Prophet and she starts going into one of these decrees or these chants, it is so humorous and hilarious, and we'll play a little bit here, but uh, it just cracks me up that she'll start speaking quickly, saying the same things over and over, maybe three or four different sentences, and then she gets faster and faster to the point where you can't understand it, and she starts changing tones and whatnot, and it, it really is hilarious. And the people are trying to do it as well, the people in the crowd. So it's quite the entertaining thing to watch it. Remember when you say I am, you're saying God in me is. This is page two, I am the violet flame. I am the violet flame in action in me now. I am the violet flame to light alone I bow. I am the violet flame in mighty cosmic power. I am the light of God shining every hour. I am the violet flame blazing like a sun. I am God's sacred power freeing everyone. I am the violet flame in action in me now. I am the violet flame to light alone I bow. I am the violet flame in mighty cosmic power. I am the light of God shining every hour. I am the violet flame blazing like a sun. I am God's sacred power freeing everyone. I am the violet flame in action in me now. I am the That's three ways to give that decree. It's your choice. They're all correct. Just depends on building a momentum. I'm using a funnel of air from the seat of the soul chakra up to my throat chakra to give this decree. The power is the power of all of my chakras, all seven, at work simultaneously, releasing that sacred fire in the focus of the spoken word. I am the violet flame in action in me now. I am the violet flame to light alone I bow. I am the violet flame in mighty cosmic power. I am the light of God shining every hour. I am the violet flame blazing like a sun. I am the sacred power freeing everyone. I am the violet flame in action in me now. I am the violet flame to light alone I bow. I am the violet flame in mighty cosmic power. I am the light of God shining every hour. I am the violet flame blazing like the sun. I am the sacred power freeing everyone. Now you have the mantra, I am a being of violet fire. I am a being of violet fire. I am the purity God desires. I am a being of violet fire. I am the purity God desires. I am a being of violet fire. I am the purity God desires. I am a being of violet fire. I am the purity God desires. I am a being of violet fire. I am the purity God desires. I am a being of violet fire. I am the purity God desires. I am a being of violet fire. Now, in speaking of Claire's children, Claire's daughter, Erin, who was the spokesman for the church or the cult, 
ended up writing a book called The Prophet's Daughter. And she talks about what she deems as the good and the bad about her mother and the cult and the problems with cults in general. And and she does a lot of speaking engagements. And I've added a link in to one of her engagements as well. But you can check out her if you just look up Aaron Prophet. It's pretty interesting. She obviously says she loves her mother. And there were things that were good about the whole cult. But there were things that were bad about the whole cult. And, you know, you can kind of imagine... But I think that uh, it's definitely worth checking into if you find this subject interesting. Now, Claire died in 2009 of Alzheimer's disease. Now, she continued to write, supposedly, even though she had Alzheimer's. So she's got quite a few different books. And who knows who was really writing those books in the end. I've got three of them here. She was a big proponent of the Great White Brotherhood. And she has a book, which I bought for like two bucks, all about the Great White Brotherhood. That's the name of it. And they would go to these retreats in Mount Shasta. And supposedly, the Great White Brotherhood would visit them there and speak with them. And some even believe that some of the Great White Brotherhood live inside Mount Shasta. And this is very, very new age, very influenced by theosophy. And... After I read a little bit about Claire's death, we'll get a little bit into where they got the whole belief system for the Church Universal and Triumphant and Summit Lighthouse. Okay, but she died at 70 years old in 2009. At her memorial reception, there was standing room only. Prophet's children Aaron, Sean, Moriah, Tatiana, and Seth Aaron Prophet, who wrote an autobiographical book called The Prophet's Daughter, My Life with Elizabeth Clare Prophet, Inside the Church, Universal and Triumphant, emailed the Chronicle with the reflections on her mother. She noted that here, Elizabeth Clare Prophet is first remembered for her prophecies of war and for her followers' construction of shelters. Aaron says she hopes her mother can be also remembered for bringing cultural diversity and a financial boost at a time when the economy was struggling. I would also acknowledge her work in religion and spirituality and the fact that she brought meaning to the lives of people all over the world. She was a person who tried to learn from her mistakes, and I would like to have seen her thought continue to evolve if she hadn't become ill. She says, I miss her even today. McBride, the church's current president, said she was in her 20s in San Francisco when she met Prophet. I immediately recognized her as someone that was very different from other leaders, she said. To me, I look at her as someone who was very special and very unique, with just an incredible amount of wisdom that we could all gain from. Today, McBride works to share the message Prophet left behind with at least 50 books that have been translated into 23 languages. The church has also been airing a radio show that she said 800,000 people have listened to. People from around the world are members of the church, which is growing especially in Russia and South America. In Montana, the church is in the North and South Glastonbury. Immigrant, Bozeman, Livingston, and Billings. Across the country, it is located in every major city. I'm going to check out and see if I have one near me. Church leaders say the membership is growing, and when asked whether they consider the church a cult, 
as it is often called, they said no. Of course they said no, right? They also said that the tension between church members and the surrounding communities has faded as they've become more integrated. They attributed that partly to the group's improved relationship with the park. For example, the church struck a 3.3 million dollar deal with the government to use part of its ranch land as a wildlife corridor for bison coming out of the Yellowstone National Park. The church has adopted a low-profile stance since Prophet passed away, which Duffy said just worked out that way. Now let's look a little bit at what CUT, that's what they call it for short, stands for and stood for. Here I'll read a little bit from a different article from scp.inc. It's hard times at the church universal and triumphant. Under the leadership of Elizabeth Clare Prophet, the cut had been one of the most flamboyant survivalist cults in the last half of this century. Prophet picked up the leadership of the group in the late 70s after the death of her first, actually second husband and original leader, Mark L. Prophet. Under E.C. Prophet, the cut was responsible for a strange and dangerous theological brew that combines channeled revelations from the Ascended Masters, reincarnation, karma, twisted interpretations of the gospel, and culture-rejecting paranoia. The cut gained widespread notoriety in the 80s and the 90s when Prophet prophesied an impending nuclear holocaust. So now, with the membership falling and Prophet herself increasingly out of the picture due to a neurological disorder, it appears that this group is trying to reinvent itself, changing its image from one of panic-mongering doomsdayers to a church of divine love. So I'm looking here. And this is an article about Elizabeth Clare Prophet from 1998, just about, ooh, I guess it was already known that she had neurological issues. This says it's the SCP newsletter, spring 1998, end of a false prophet. But it's talking about the I Am movement. Now, the I Am movement is where Mark L. Prophet got a lot of his influence from that and theosophy, but the I Am movement was really teaching that you are God. I am. And that comes out of the Bible, though, the I am. Who do you say I am? Now, he's talking about being in Chicago. He's walking around the streets there and looking at art. And he goes down Washington Street. He says, this street is named after America's first president, and I was about to see a life-size photo of a man who claimed to have been George Washington in a past life. That's correct. Guy Ballard, who died in 1939, was George Washington, if you talk to an I Am Activity devotee. His wife, Edna Ballard, who lived into the early 70s, was Benjamin Franklin, according to the group. The I Am Temple is inside a 12-story building at 176 West Washington. The sect purchased it in 1948. The mighty I Am owns many significant properties purchased after its meteoric rise in Great Depression-wracked America. Today, it has reading rooms in many cities and main centers in Mount Shasta, California, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and, of course, Chicago. In 1939, the I Am reportedly had 50,000 followers after a mere five years since its start. 
Today, only a few thousand or less remain, by my estimate, despite renewed interest in the I Am teachings within the recent New Age movement explosion, I Am books turn up in many New Age and occult bookstores. The Balor teachings form up the basis of many active but separate sects that claim larger followings. The Church Universal and Triumphant, or CUT, the Bridge to Freedom, now known as the Foundation for Higher Spiritual Learning in Virginia and South America, and smaller ones like the Church of the Ascension, the Ruby Ray, and a CUT spinoff launched in 1997 by former CUT Bishop Monroe Shearer. The Lighthouse of Freedom was a 1950s I Am sect that influenced Mark Prophet to found his Summit Lighthouse in 1958, the forerunner of the Church of Universal and Triumphant. Outside the I Am Temple door, the visitor approaches under two huge American flags jutting from the building. After all, this is George Washington's place. The storefront window displays religious pictures and some pithy, innocuous quotes from I Am teachings on posters and cards. Once inside, you notice a trademark poster of the I Am's spiritual founder, the Comte de Saint-Germain a militaristic blue uniform and not in his characteristic white powdered wig. Now, Elizabeth Clare Prophet talks about St. Germain a lot, even more so than Jesus by far, and so did Mark. The I Am images of St. Germain looking nothing like the real merchant magician spy who was neither count nor saint. He named himself after a French city, St. Germain. He impressed many gullible royals in the court of Louis in France, but others regarded the Count as both a braggart and a charlatan. Paris, in the 18th century, was crawling with magician occultists. The Count was one of the more talented and entertaining mystery men. Comte de Saint-Germain often dropped hints that he was 500 years old, belonged to a secret order of mystics resembling the Rosicrucians or Freemasons, and perhaps was an immortal. Non-apologetic sources I recommend on Saint-Germain are... Charles McKay's 1852 account in Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Harmony, 1980, E.M. Butler's 1948 description in The Myth and the Magus of Cambridge, and he names a few others. But anyway, but I thought that helped us to understand who St. Germain really was. Of course, we didn't go into a lot of detail, but he seemed to be such a big deal to Elizabeth Clare Prophet. You know, I searched for St. Germain for five years before I found him. It was an amazing experience in my life because when I was 18, I was leaving home to go to college, and I knew I wasn't coming back, so I made a call to God, and I said, I thanked him for my home and my parents, and I said, if there's anything you have placed here for me of which I have not availed myself, please tell me because I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. And so God spoke to me, resounding in my temple, and said, go to the library, pick up the book, Unveiled Mysteries, and read it. And so this was a book, actually, I think the name of the book was the third in the series of I Am Books. It was the I Am Discourses, because I had remembered seeing that book all my life as a child, and I thought it had a very kind of a foreboding title that I wouldn't understand. So I obeyed God and I took the book and I thought I was in for something very deep. So I settled into an old leather chair and I put my legs over the side of the chair 
opened the book and I saw this portrait of Saint Germain that we have here, that very picture. And as I looked at him, I was completely electrified. I, I leapt up out of the chair. I ran to my mother and I said, here, look, here is Saint Germain. Have you ever seen him? Do you know him? And she said, yes, I know him. And I said, why haven't you ever told me about him? And she said, I wanted you to find him for yourself. So there I was. I was off to college. I took the book, hopped on the train the next day, went out in the Midwest from New Jersey, where I grew up. Five years I spent looking for St. Germain. I couldn't find St. Germain. I couldn't find a living soul who had ever heard of St. Germain. And I thought it was a very perplexing experience. So I went to New York City after I started going that from there to Boston University. And I combed the old bookstores and I looked in the secondhand stores and I found some decrees that had been published by this IM organization, which I knew nothing about. And it was a little booklet of affirmations containing affirmations of the violet flame. And although I had been a student of metaphysics, I had studied unity, Christian science, I had read the Bible, I knew a great deal of truth beyond the, the usual form of religion, I had never given a powerful affirmation except about three times in my life when I called to God, and on each occasion I had noted that my prayer was answered instantaneously, and I was almost dumbfounded by this experience. Three desperate situations I had had, and each one I made a call to God uh, to come forth and help me, and instantaneously uh, that help had been forthcoming. So I took note of that, but I never did understand it. I couldn't understand why the action was so immediate, as opposed to simple prayer. So I got this book of old decrees. I was in New York, went back to Boston, and I began giving them. And as I gave them, my voice became more powerful just in the giving of the decrees. It was a matter of weeks that Mark Prophet came to Boston, sent by Almoria, uh, to give a dictation in uh, a group of Ascended Master students that had formed there. Within those same weeks, by a very roundabout way, I made contact with someone who knew of that group. From the time I began giving the violet flame, my whole life was turned around. So I began to understand that without the word was not anything made that was made. And I realized that all of my searching and longing for five years did not bear fruit because I was not applying the science of cosmos. I realized that the power of the word within us is the power of change, and that we were created by Elohim who created and framed the worlds, who gave us the, the gift of the spoken word. And when we use it with the authority of God rather than the human authority or the human will, but when we allow God to speak through us, molecules and atoms of the earth literally do change. So since that hour, I have found that the decrees, the violet flame in particular, and all that we have to offer has completely changed my life. I have become a new creature many times over. Saint Germain has taken me back through my incarnations. When you give the violet flame, you're working on the balancing of karma, and you start with your present today. Today's 
misqualified energy is transmuted and then yesterday's and then last week's and last year's. And you go through the months and you go through the years and as you decree, you're going back and back and back until you find yourself actually experiencing embodiments 250,000 years ago. You start remembering being part of the race consciousness, even of a primitive evolution that was on the earth, whether or not you were embodied in it or not. You go through the whole consciousness of Earth's evolutions. If any of you have ever read Blavatsky, you know the very complex uh, unfoldment she has of the history of Earth. So I've found that if you are diligently working with the violet flame, at least in my case, being sponsored by the master, which is very important because we all need the guru, that in about a six-month period of earnest striving, prayer, fasting, and decrees, you can go through the karma of one lifetime. So I found that periodically, about every six months, I would come into the next previous embodiment as St. Germain would reveal it, I would see my mistakes and shortcomings. I would see my triumphs, the tragedies, the inanities, the mediocrities, all of the things that we go through in our lifetimes. And I would study them. He would show me uh, how we have to turn our weaknesses into strengths, how we need to, to really know what our strengths are, capitalize on them, and use them uh, to help to set life free. And we don't like to take heaven by force, but we know that as we give the violet flame, scenes begin to pass through the memory, through the inner eye, and through the mind. And those scenes usually begin with long forgotten episodes of your present embodiment. And when you see them, it is not the, that they are being recreated, it is that they are flashing before you as they are going into the flame. So if you come to something unpleasant, the thing to do is to intensify the calls to the violet flame and keep on going. And you understand that the violet flame only transmutes that which is unreal or unworthy of your Christhood. Everything else ascends to that causal body and is preserved forever. And the step, the giant step into the path of really the masterful presence of your godhood, the giant step into the great white brotherhood from the former to the new age is the violet flame. So at one point, you had at least 10,000 people in America who were devotees to Cut, the Church Universal and Triumphant, and many around the world. And that grew, although I'm sure that it began to fall away a bit after the doomsday teachings of Elizabeth Clare Prophet turned out to be just false prophecies. But still, going back to the way these cult leaders are able to fool so many people is just amazing and part of our culture. And that's why I wanted to go over this. I hope that you found it interesting and I hope you found the audio clips interesting. I implore you to check out more. Uh, you know, it's like with these different teachers, not everything they say is wrong, but when they really get to the heart of things, they are wrong. And with these different books that I've got of hers, I haven't read them all the way through, but you talk about raping the Bible. It's just ridiculous. And, of course, she takes different parts of different religions and mixes them all up together in this New Age stew to fit whatever she's trying to put out there. But it's just one of many, and I think next we'll probably either look at the Moonies or Jonestown, the real Jonestown, and possibly who was really behind the deaths and the 
what I believe to be experiments that were part of Jonestown. I hope you've enjoyed this show. I appreciate you listening, taking the time to listen, and I hope that you will tune in for the next Oddcast featuring the Odd Men Out. Thank you for your support. Thank you to all my wonderful patrons and all the people who've reached out to me. And if you want to become a member of the Society of Cryptic Savants, it's forward slash the odd man out on Patreon. Every little bit helps, and I appreciate everything you can do. I try to put the shows up early on there, and I try to give you something extra. And I've also been trying to put a few different things up there that I won't put on anything else, just exclusively for my patrons. And it's a good place if you want to message me. I'm going to get your message on there a lot faster than I would on Instagram because there are just so many messages come through on Instagram. It's just very, very hard for me to see them all and get back to everyone. Although I do eventually try, but it sometimes takes me a while because, you know, I, otherwise I'd be just answering messages all day instead of making content for people. So I appreciate your help. I hope everyone's doing well. Cheers and blessings. And remember, guys, their order is not our order. Love you. Mean it. Well, there are a lot of people out there who claim that their lives have been ruined by Mrs. Prophet, that they, they are victims of mind control, that they uh, were made to do things against their will, that they were hypnotized in a sense. Jim, and the fact, Psychological Association of the United States does not accept brainwashing without physical coercion. There is no physical coercion here. The gates are open. You know it. You've been here. You've come. You've interviewed me. You've asked me if I thought I was the Virgin Mary or the head of the of the Catholic Church, I said, no, I did not believe I was the Virgin Mary or the head of you the You said you were Catholic the vicar Church. of Christ. You said you were the vicar the, of Christ. Of I'm the vicar of Christ, of Church Universal and Triumphant. I have nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. You went out and printed it anyway, even though you interviewed me and right. I told you, you it wasn't have, true. You've had a large number of embodiments. I, I, uh, maybe I so got confused. So have you, Jim. You've been embodied many times, and so has everyone else. I believe in reincarnation, and the majority of the people on this planet do believe in reincarnation. But the point is that that you lost a lawsuit, a man claimed that he was assaulted, he was... Um, Those claims uh, were unfounded, he never proved that he, he was assaulted. But he won his case, he won a, a million and a half dollars from the, and the California Supreme Court upheld yes, that claim. In that and there are a large number of other people happened. who claim that they've been brainwashed, who feel it, that they've lost six or seven they or whatever, claim how it, many years of their life. Well, it's there not are a large number of people who think otherwise. Well, and there are a number of books and experts who also believe that people can be brainwashed. 